Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. I want to speak to you a little bit around this message of recalculation. We've been in a series entitled Recalculate. And I just entitled the message today simply, Don't Worry. And I'm a little bit worried because my TV's, I see me on the TV. I don't know why I see me on the TV. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you, God, for, Lord, just the reality of your presence. Lord, we just need you in this time. Lord, I, I don't want to preach a great message today. I, I, wanna, I, I want you to change our lives. I want you to come, Holy Spirit, and move in such a way that we're never the same. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd meet us right in this space and that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, may my uh, lips be used for your glory today and for people's good. And I pray that um, nobody would see me, but they would see you. And we just thank you for this moment in time. In Jesus' name. And everybody set? Amen. Amen. See, open your eyes and it's fixed. (laughs) Shout out to our sound team. Good job, guys. Everybody's been working so hard. It's been unbelievable, but uh, I, it's so good to see your faces, and online, I, I'm able to, to tune in and check in with you guys, and we're actually going to do something creative coming up in the near future where I'm going to have a couple of TVs with, with Zoom, so if you wanted to tune in on Zoom, that way I can see your faces as I'm preaching to you, um, but, but anyways, I, I'm so grateful that, that you're here. I'm so grateful that you tuned in, and I really believe that, that God has a message for us. Now, as much as I love to be here with you guys, as much as I love to hang out with you, um, there's one thing that you probably don't want to do with Jackie and I, and that, that's, that's camping. You don't want to camp with us. Like, like, let, let me take you back. So we used to be youth pastors, and we would go on camping trips all the time, and me and Jackie, we, we love camping, and we, we love the outdoors. Um, we're we're kind of like, I don't know, like wannabe campers. Like, we, we really love the outdoors. But then, you know, we, we don't really go that often, that kind of a camper. Uh, but we used to take students all the time. Remember one trip to Lake Berryessa, uh, we, we didn't prepare properly, and so we didn't bring enough coals, and we're trying to cook for like 50 or 70 kids. I don't know how many kids were there. We're trying to cook bacon and eggs on like a charcoal grill. I, I took, it took probably about three hours to, to actually work through. I don't know if the bacon was done, so we just kind of blessed the food. Lord, bless all these kids. I don't know how some parents even trusted us back in the day. I'm like, you trusted me with your kid, like 70 of them? Um, but it, it, it was so much fun. But, but on that same trip, we, we love to get out in the boat a little bit, and Jackie would pull the, the, the kids behind the boat. But then I get behind the boat on the tube, and Jackie decides, you know, it, it's revenge time. And so we're going like, like 100 miles an hour. It feels like 100 miles an hour. She whips me around the boat, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Right, I'm holding on. Throws me off the boat. I injure my shoulder forever. Um, so camping with us is rough, but that's, that's not really why you don't want to go camping with us. Those are a couple of things, but the reason why you really don't want to go camping with us is because we've been evacuated by fires twice. Two times. So the, the first time we were at a pastor's retreat, and all of a sudden, uh, man, we're enjoying our day, and just like a, a movie, little ash falls from the sky, and we're like, there's a fire. And so sure enough, we started to see flames come up over the side of the hill. They're coming closer to us. And, and we found an escape route off of the mountain. Saved the day, basically. <laughs> Saved everybody on the, on the hill. So 
I mean, in that sense, you might want to roll with us because, you know, we're, we're, we'll try to figure it out. But, but this, this last, uh, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary, which was amazing. And we decided we were going to go glamping. You know what glamping is, right? So it's, it's like a luxury tent. It's like a five-star resort, but you're camping. And it's cool because you can still have a little barbecue pit and you can still kind of do your little fire thing and all that good stuff. And so, uh, man, we, we had a great day. Um, we decided to go to Guerneville and go glamping. If you guys remember uh, these fires in Sonoma, it happened around Guerneville. And so we, we, we get up there. It's so relaxing. We're like, all right, we're unplugging. We don't get cell reception and the next day we get up, we go for a nine-mile kayak trip down the Russian River. So it was great for about eight hours. And we get off of the, the little kayak, and we look up into the, the horizon, and I'm like, man, I, I know that look. That looks super familiar. And so I looked at Jack the night, you know, we're kind of creeping into the evening, and I'm like, they're not going to let us stay here. Like, we're, we're going to get evacuated on our anniversary like, no way, right? So at some point, you just got to start laughing um, because not only are we in a pandemic trying to get away, trying to, do, you know, all this crazy stuff in our life, trying to enjoy our anniversary, then we get evacuated. We get the call and we get evacuated. And, and, and so I, I want you to understand at this point, my adrenaline is gone. I don't feel adrenaline anymore. We've experienced so much change over the last five months, right? Always oh, shift here, always oh, shifting here, fire here, fire here. It's just like, all right, get in the car. Let's go, right? And so, so the bottom line is you don't want to go camping with us. That's the end of the story. Have a great day. Love you guys so much. Don't go camping with us. But, but, but here's the reality is that, that whenever you're evacuated, you find, yourself, you find yourself in a gap. You find yourself in a gap between where you are and where you want to be. Because in between that evacuation, there's, there's a lot of things going through your mind. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of time and space, or it feels like there is. There's a lot of wondering in your mind. There's a lot of unknowns. And I don't know about you, but, but when I'm in a moment, when I'm in the gap in between where I am and where I want to be or where God has called me to be, normally like, like peace and joy and contentment and gratitude and relaxation, normally those aren't the defaults. I'm in a gap, and then all of a sudden just I feel so joyous and so relaxed. It's, this is great, right? Normally what fills the gap in those moments is worry. Because you're trying to figure stuff out. I, I think there's a reason why God told us not to be afraid 365 times in the scriptures. Because he knew we were going to need one for every day. Right? Because we, our, our default many times is to fear. It's to unbelief. It, it's to worry. And I'm not just talking about fires. Like, you could have great opportunity, a great opportunity presented to you. It could be a new relationship. It, it could be uh, maybe a new aspect of your career, maybe a new adventure. And all of a sudden, it creates a gap. Why? Because with new opportunity comes change. And with change, we have to recalculate. And whenever we have to recalculate, we find ourselves in a gap in between where we are and where we want to be. So Jackie and I, we, uh, we got in the car, and I looked at the gas and it looked decent, right? Three bars in the Toyota Yaris. Three bars can last a long time. It stays at three bars, right? So, so we get in the car and talking to my father-in-law, and I pass a gas station. I'm like, should I get gas? I'm like, no, I got three bars. So my father-in-law, he asked me, he said, you guys got gas? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think we're good. And there's a lot of traffic, and we don't know where we're at. We're going through these side roads. There's two fires on each side of us. 
And so all of a sudden, the third bar goes. Now, in my Toyota Yaris, when the third bar goes, the, the last two don't last long. Like, they go quick. Like, like it's like, it's, it's like it, it plays with you. That little second bar, it stays there for a moment, then it goes away, and it just starts blinking, right? And so I look at Jackie, and the, the third bar goes away, and I'm like, oh, man. She's like, what? I'm like, we don't have, I don't know if we have enough gas, right? She's like, should I turn around? What should I do when the cops are directing us? Streets are closed down. I'm like, I'm just going for it. And she's like, what if we get stuck and we're getting in the fire? And I'm like, we're going to be fine, right? Happy anniversary. This is great. And all of a sudden in that moment, all of a sudden in that moment, you start to lose hope. And worry starts to fill the gap. And, and Jesus said it very clear. Jesus said, listen, the cares and the worries of this life, is, is, it easily chokes the very life out of you. It chokes, it can even choke the very promises of God out of your thoughts and out of your mind. And so, so we see a gas station and then it was like, oh, praise God. The only problem is, is that's circumstantial. Like, is it possible to live in the gap and not be bound by worry? Like, is, is that even possible? And I think we see with the Apostle Paul, we see this very clearly with him because Paul was a guy who had been through some stuff. God used him to do some incredible things, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him to do extraordinary miracles. God used this, life, this man's life incredibly, but Paul also has been through some stuff. Paul said, I work much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night, uh, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. And in danger from false believers, I've also labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Can you say amen that Paul has been through some stuff? And I was reading this the other day, and I started to get really encouraged. Like, literally, I felt like my heart, heart leaped with joy. Not because Paul had to go through all this, but I thought, man, sometimes we're so tempted to believe that when we're going through it, that somehow God is not working. That when we're going through it, somehow God is not present or God has left us. Now, Paul is suffering for the gospel, meaning Paul is saying, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm still going through it. And I find myself in this gap, and, and Paul learned how to not fill the gap with worry. But it, but it was something that, that, that Paul learned. Like Paul later would go on to say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? As his cape is blowing in the wind. Right? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But that, that, was, that was Paul's, that, that, that was his, like, that was real for him. Like Paul said, man, I, I've learned that my weakness is not always a bad thing because where there's my weakness, there's the power of Christ meets me in that place. So he says, I'd rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ would rest upon me. He goes on to say things like, man, I'm pressed but not crushed. I'm persecuted but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down but I'm not destroyed. Paul just saw things differently. 
And, and the reality is, is Paul wasn't superhuman. Paul had the spirit of God, just like we do as followers of Christ, living on the inside of him, just like you, just like me. He wasn't superhuman, but he learned some things. In fact, he goes on to say this, one of his famous, the famous passages of scripture, he says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. And I just had to stop and ask myself, man, Lord, is this really possible? In every situation, whether I'm fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, Paul is saying, listen, a lot of times this passage of Scripture is used to, for like baseball, like, I'm up to bat. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's not the context of the passage. Paul is saying, listen, whether I have a lot or I have I've had a little, whether I'm on the top of the mountain or whether I'm in the valley, he says, I've learned this secret that I can do this. I can do all things. Maybe you heard it said like this, through him or through Christ who gives me strength. And this word learn, it, it means gaining factual knowledge from experience. Often it has this implication, gaining experience with reflection. So, so I can imagine the Apostle Paul looking through his life, looking and reflecting back on the floggings, reflecting back on the time that he was stoned and left for dead outside of the city. They thought he was dead. And I can imagine the Apostle Paul looking back, and, and the first time that he met Christ, what happened? He had an encounter with Jesus. His life dramatically changed, but he was blind. He was blinded by the glory. God, like in this encounter with God, he was blind for three days. He was in a gap between where he was and where he was going, where God had called him to be, where he even wanted to be, to, to see again. And God raised up a man by the name of Ananias and told him to lay hands on Paul, and Paul could see. But I just could imagine Paul going back and reflecting. Remember the time I was blind? And, man, God sent somebody to heal me. Remember the time that, that I was praying, God, that you would remove this particular pain point for me? We don't know what it is. Most scholars believe it was something physical that Paul was wrestling with. And, and he cried out to God three times, and the Lord said, I'm not taking it away, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And so I could imagine Paul saying, man, there was a time that I got healed. There was a time that God didn't heal me, but his grace was present to strengthen me. I, I, I remember all of these moments, all of this time, all of these challenges, all of these trials. And I think back and I look at the hand of God in all things. I look at the hand of God in all my circumstances that, that if many believe that when he was stoned outside of the city that he was dead and God raised him back to life. It's almost like, God, you are so in control. You are so for me. I've watched you come through that. Whether um, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for you. And if I die, I'm going to die for you. Either way, I win. Paul was a frustrating character for the enemy. Because no matter what Paul was going through, Paul just was able to think a whole lot differently than many of us think on a regular basis. So I could just imagine Paul reflecting on all of these things and wondering, I, uh, this is kind of my little reading into the text, but I wonder if Paul thought, man, look how much time I've wasted worrying. When God has showed himself faithful every single time. And so Paul's like, man, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that. That's not the will of God for my life. And so Paul just didn't wake up one day superhuman and I'm here. No, he learned some things. And before he says, 
this incredible statement, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He gives us some of these things that he's learned earlier in the chapter that we're going to look through today. And I'm only going to give you two today. And the first one is this, is that Paul chose to be joyful. Paul would say in the gap from where you are to where you want to be, you have to learn how to choose to be joyful. Like if you're going to walk through worry, you have to learn how to choose joy. You have to learn how to do it. Can I just tell you, joy is, is a key factor in your spiritual stability. In fact, we see in the scriptures that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Paul says it this way. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, this is really funny because Paul is writing from the least place of joy. He's writing from prison. Things had not go as he planned. He's in chains for the gospel. And now he's in the most confined, the most restricted, the most bounding place, the most lonely place, the place that would give him a stigma, a bad stigma, even amongst the people in the church. And he's writing to encourage the Philippian church. He's facing potential death, like death is at his doorstep. And he said, guys, let me remind you, rejoice in the Lord, always. And let me, just in case you didn't hear me the first time, and again, I say, rejoice. Like, like Paul just knew in the gap, you got to learn how to rejoice. And this is hard. It's not easy. It's something that, that we learn. It's something that we grow. And we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us. And God is working in us. God is working through us. But many times we fight that process. And the spirit of God is trying to teach us things. And it's, it's easy sometimes to resist the spirit. But it, this is hard. This was our tent that we, uh, we stayed in when we were glamping. This is a glamping tent. This is cool, isn't it? Walk in, pull the little light on. Got some little Chico's, little sparkling water over there. I was like, oh, I can do this. But this was just for a couple of hours. Like, we were having so much fun. But in a moment, we were evacuated. Gone. So then we have the whole gas situation. Then we need to find somewhere to stay. So we're in another gap. And we don't know anywhere out in Sonoma and all the hotels, a lot of hotels are like 500 a night. We're not trying to do that. And, and so, so we get to Petaluma, we get to the Marriott. I, I get in line and the lady in front of me takes the last room. I'm like, how is this even possible? Lord, your servant, right? So then I'm like, then I got to get back in the car. I'm like, babe, sorry, they got no rooms. I'm looking on Expedia. We're in the parking lot. It's like, 10.30 at night, we're trying to enjoy our anniversary. This is a pastor's life, y'all. Have you thought our life was easy? Oh, man. And so, so we're like, okay, well, we want to wake up at least somewhere cool. Maybe we'll go to the city, whatever. So we end up going to Tiburon. So I look online, and I was like, oh, this, this hotel looks nice. Let, let's, let's go stay there. It's reasonable. We get there, and it's a dive. <laughs> so at this point, you're like, let's just go to sleep. And all of a sudden, this hopelessness sets in, like, this is just not going to get any better. You see, a lot of times we think that the opposite of joy is sadness, but that's the opposite of happiness. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. It's hopelessness. That's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord, always. Because if our hope is in something that's consistently changing, then our joy will constantly be shifting. And so Paul said, the only way that you're going to be able to rejoice always is if it's in the Lord. 
Now, Paul is not encouraging us to fabricate an emotion. He's not calling us to, you know, uh, create this feeling or just try to muster up a joy. No, Paul is talking about a deep rooted confidence that God is in control of everything, that God is working for his glory. God is working on your behalf for your good. And he said, you can do this always, always. But the only way that you and I are going to always be able to rejoice is if our joy is connected to something we can never lose. The only way that you will always be able to rejoice is when your joy is connected to something you can never lose. He said, rejoice in the Lord. He goes on to say, in Romans chapter 15, 13, he says, I pray that the God, the source of hope, again, Paul is, is, is helping us understand this now, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I would propose to you to say that this hope and joy is supernatural. It's not as the world knows it. And how we gain it is not as the world tries to gain it. And so it's, it's as God is our source and we're trusting him as our source, there is a joy and a peace and a confidence that comes with that, an overflowing confidence of hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, how you and I think about God is so connected to our spiritual stability. How we understand him. Like the only way that you are going to be able to choose joy is if your hope is in something that's never changing. The, the only way that you're going to be able to choose joy is if your hope lies in the one who will never change. Trusting God in the midst of the gap that brings a supernatural hope that fuels our joy so we can stand spiritually in any circumstance. That's huge. Let that sink in for a moment. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we, we forget this. Even the disciples did. They, there was a time where the disciples were out and they were casting out demons. They were, they were, they were healing the sick and they came back to Jesus. And, and Jesus says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. He says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. See, Jesus was saying this, don't, don't rejoice in what you're doing for me. Let your hope, let, let, let the source of your joy flow from what I have done for you. Like, let my grace, let the reality that you don't deserve to have your name written, let that permeate your heart in such a way that it transforms everything in your life. How you think about God, how I think about God dramatically affects everything. In fact, A.W. Tozer says it this way, what comes to mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. You know, this word rejoice, it may not, it doesn't simply just mean what you may think it means, just kind of like a gladness or like, yay, like, no, the root word of rejoice, it means to lean toward the grace of God to properly delight in the grace of God and to literally experience the grace of God. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is that God's grace is for your life and on my life is directly connected to our joy. Like when you just think about all that God has done for us, sometimes we, sometimes we can't rejoice because we fail to remember. 
Like, like sometimes I think what, what keeps us from rejoicing is we fail to remember the grace of God. We fail to lean toward the grace of God in this reality that when, when I'm living in sin and I'm trapped and I'm struggling, a lot of times we want to run from God, but we need to remember that we can rejoice that there is forgiveness for our sin. Like, like when we're struggling through a trial, that there is grace, there is strength. And Paul was saying, listen, I've been through a lot. And I'm the chief of sinners. And the grace of God, leaning into his grace, is able to fill our hearts with such a hope that fuels our joy, that causes us to stand so thankful in the midst of all the craziness. Come on, can anybody use some joy? Last one is this. Paul says, you got to learn how to choose joy. The second one is this. you got to choose to be reasonable. you got to choose to be reasonable. He says this in the next verse in Philippians 4, 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody, for the Lord is near. You know, I heard a story not too long ago about World War II. It was a German soldier, a young German soldier just took uh, ownership of the platoon, his commanding officer was killed. His name was Langfield. And there was a moment where they were, they were hiding in the forest and they were battling with the Americans. And they were, they were tucked away in this forest and the Germans had set this forest up really, really particular with booby traps and lots of landmines, so many that even the German soldiers would not know where they would be. So they had to all move super carefully. And so as, as this attack was going on, the Americans were pushing in, the Americans were gaining the victory, and what ended up happening was one of the guys stepped on a landmine, and he just started crying out in pain. The Americans retreated, this guy's crying out in pain, and this young soldier, I think he was like 18 or 19, you know, in control of this whole situation and told his troops, he said, listen, when the Americans come to get them, don't shoot them. Let them come in. They're like, what? Like, where, what are you talking about? Like, they're pushing in their infantry. He said, no, no, no. When they come in, don't shoot them. And because it was so hostile, it was so crazy, maybe they thought he was dead. Nobody came back. So we looked at his guys. This guy's screaming in pain. He said, I need, I need, a, I need a few guys to go with me. We got to walk through this landmine, and we got to go get this soldier. And so as they began to proceed through the landmine, he stepped on one. It blew up, and he died. He was later awarded an honor, a Medal of Honor from the United States of America. And, and in the midst of this conflict, so unreasonable. It seems like, what are, you, what are you doing? That is so unreasonable. But there's something that God calls us to, that you and I, God calls us to a reasonableness that's not going to be reasonable to the world. In fact, it's really hard to extract what this means. So when you look at the New King James Version, the ESV Version, the NLT, the NIV, they're all going to have a different word for reasonableness because it's so hard to capture this word in one word in the English language. So you're going to see words like gentle. You're going to see words like forbearance. You're going to see all these things. But let me give you a little bit of insight of, of what this word means. It means sweet generosity. It, it, it means to uh, show goodwill or, or friendliness, charity towards others' faults, mercy towards others' failures, indulgence of others' failures, meaning get involved, get in their mix, help them out, indulge in their failures. It, it, it goes on to say that it's, it's, it's lenient, it's, it's to be lenient, it's to be big-hearted, it's to be gracious, it's to be, have forbearance, it's to have gentleness. I love how 
John MacArthur says it, he says it this way. He said, the graciousness of humility that produces patience to endure injustice, disgrace, and mistreatment without retaliation, bitterness, or vengeance. It's called contentment. And as I was reading this, guys, as I was studying this week, I've never seen this. And I've never done a word study on this. That's why you got to dig in your Bible. And I just thought, man, how fitting it is. You know, as your pastor, I, I want to just say that our world is, is, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And there are so many crazy things happening. And I expect it from the world. That's what the world does. The world is vengeful. The world is, world is self-focused. The world is, that, that's what the world does, but that's not what the church is supposed to do. You know, Jesus was the harshest on the religious leaders. Because he's like, man, you are, you are totally missing it. And you're setting the example. You're setting the tone. And so as I look out, I know that there, is, there are so many injustices that people are crying out for. I get it. There are so many lines that are being drawn in the sand. And can I just tell you, I, some, some of these things that we're facing in our nation, it requires a voice. It requires that, that man, that lines need to be drawn. Even for us in the church, I mean, we're facing, we don't, we don't know what the future of the church looks like. I mean, there's a lot going on right now, but can I, can I tell you, I'm confident and I have an unwavering hope that the church of God, that the church of Jesus Christ is going to continue to prevail through all of this. But can I just tell you this? I'm not saying that all these things are not worth speaking for or fighting for. And I say many because there's a lot out there and there are a lot of voices being raised. But I also see a lot of chaos. Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. I love Facebook, Instagram. I, all, we use that stuff. I, I get it. But man, we're tearing each other down, the church. We're, we're creating division. And God's like, that's not reasonable. That's not reasonable for my people. Like we, we should be the one setting the example. Let me remind you, the only time that Jesus drew lines in the sand is when he was looking at the religious leaders as they were about to stone a woman for her adultery. And he's riding in the sand, and they're getting ready with their stones to pelt her, and he stands up. We don't know what he wrote, but he said, you her without sin, cast the first stone. And the lines that he was drawing in the sand were to be a catalyst for this woman's salvation, for his grace to be revealed, for her freedom, for life, for hope, for healing. And for the religious leaders to be like, what's up? Point taken, Jesus. As they threw their stones down and walked away. Can I just tell you, I know that there are things worth fighting for right now. I get it. But the lines that we are drawing in the sand, we better make sure as the church that the motivation behind that is to see hearts and lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Can I just tell you this? That, that's bringing hope and healing and reconciliation. Because can I just tell you this? Like, you guys got to hear me on this. Is that this woman went away free. She experienced the grace of God and Jesus told her, now go and sin no more. She first experienced the goodness of God, the, the grace of God. And then she's like... How in the world did you just spare my life? And little did she know Jesus was going to step on a proverbial landmine for her and for you and for all of us when we did not deserve it. While we were yet sinners, he hung on a cross that we might live. That's so unreasonable, especially for God to do something like that.
And so listen, if the grace of God feels weak to you, if the gospel does not feel like the power of God unto salvation, you have lost your way as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're new today and you're like, I'm brand new. I'm not talking to you. You get a pass on this. Just tune me out. You don't have to listen to me. I'm talking to the church that you've lost your way. And if we really believe that the gospel is the solution, can I just tell you, when the gospel of Jesus transforms a person's heart and mind, when the spirit of God begins to renew and regenerate a person, it affects the way they see God, the way they see other people, and the way they see the world. And it's transformation. And so if your lines aren't leading to that, you better, you better do some business with Jesus. Because Paul is assuming that we're reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. Like he's assuming this is our life. He's assuming that a, a follower of Jesus should bear fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness gentleness, self-control. Paul's expecting this from believers. And so, so can I just encourage all of us, we're to be light and salt in the earth, and our tactics look very different than the world looks. And so make sure we're not getting those lines confused. And getting those lines blurred. If your hope is in anything other than Christ and the gospel, you've lost your way. And like I said, I'm not saying that things aren't worth fighting for. I get it. But let's fight with reasonableness. Let's engage the world. No matter what your politics are, no matter what, we are not of this world. And we belong to another kingdom as followers of Jesus. If you're not a Christian right now, you're good. Just don't even listen to me. You don't have to listen again. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we are not living for this life. We are sojourners passing through as light and salt to the earth. And so Paul's like, listen, but just in case you forgot, let me help you with all of this. He says, in case you forgot all this, remember the Lord is at hand. Let that be your motivation. This means he's at hand both in time and space. I Meaning he's coming soon. But he's also near. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, imagine it's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And that's what we're proclaiming in baptism today, an outward expression of that reality. I mean, that, that's, that's so beautiful. And sometimes we, we get this weird feeling when we think about God being close to us. But it's not weird. And my slides not work. Can you go to my next slide for me? Click on the next one in the picture. Where's it at? It's not weird. This is weird that it's not weird. There it is. But this is me talking to my four-year-old daughter. We're just sitting there. She's scared by the waves. She's worried by the waves. She doesn't want to go in here. You know, you can see my other girls are like, yeah. And Hannah's like, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> Daddy, will you sit with me as the waves crash? And sometimes they'll sweep her away and I grab her. God is near. Presence changes things in our life. I remember one time I went, I went uh, hunting with my father-in-law. If you're like, for PETA, I'm sorry. Uh, I went hunting with my father-in-law. And, uh, and it, was, it was, Jack and I had been married for, like, married for like six months. And I remember 
we were, we, we'd only been gone for a short amount of time, I started to really miss Jackie. And I could tell you all about Jackie. I could tell you what she likes, what she doesn't like, what makes her smile, what makes her cry. I could tell you all about her. The embarrassing part was we were only gone for like an hour or two, right? And we, and we were in Gilroy. It wasn't like we were far away. But, but I have all this knowledge of her, but there's something about being in her presence that makes all that knowledge come to life. And that's the difference between religion and relationship with God. Paul lived in constant, in a constant reality of the presence of God. God is coming quickly, and he's coming to judge. He's coming to, 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 to rule and to reign. And Paul's like, I'm aware, and we got we to gotta get the gospel out. But then Paul was also so aware of God is so close. And can I just tell you, that changes how you move. Like, come on, if, if you're going to post, and the Lord is present, His nearness, presence changes things. But I just think, I think about my daughter and I, we're sitting here, and I was just like, man, as the waves came, she started to get more confident and more confident and more confident. As long as I was present, she did not care how big the waves were. And I think what, what Paul is, is trying to get at for you and I is that if we would let our choices be filtered by the nearness of God and not the noise of the world, that we'd be able to fill our gaps not with worry, but with a stability and a contentment that can only come from him. I pray that you just let this sink into your heart that the Lord is near. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for our time together. Lord, I ask that you would, you would meet us in this space some of us, we've forgotten that reality. But you're coming soon. Look at the world. We're at that next stage. It's happening quickly. We don't know the time. We don't know the day or the hour. But, Lord, we do know that you're coming quickly. Let us be mindful. Let us live in light of eternity. Lord, help us to get our eyes off of the temporary. Like, this is it. And help us as followers of you to get our eyes on eternity. Help us to see the big picture. Paul lived in that space. His heart focused on eternity, yet his, his eyes focused on loss and the broken here that they might experience the same hope that he had. Let that be how we move in this space, God. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be confident because you said that if we're not reasonable, if we start filling ourselves with this pride and, and we start allowing the noise of the world to, to contaminate us with, with anger and vengeance and all that, you, you say very clearly, you show the contrast that that creates anxiety. We fill the gap with anxiety and worry at that point because we fight this front lost sight of the hope that we have. We've lost sight of the source of our joy. So God, I pray that as a church, you would give us a voice that would reflect your heart and would reflect your glory and that the world would look at and say, I don't know what you have, but that's what I need. Let that be our reality. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're like, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I need to experience the grace of God. I need to experience the forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want you to slip up your hand if you say, I just need to get right with God today. Right where you're at. You say, Pastor Matt, listen, if you're online and you say, man, I, I need to do that, would you just click that little button that says, I'm, making, I'm, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today. 
Well, Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you're doing in our life. I thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, continue to shape us, continue to mold us more and more into your image in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.